We'll be going through Joel. It's only three chapters long. We'll be going through half of it tonight. Um, and the reason I'm doing so is it directly ties into what is going to be taking place in Revelation 14 and 15 that will be this uh, coming Sunday. Uh, just a little bit of a background, and I'm going to play a three-minute video of a locust plague so that when we read the first part of chapter one here, it'll give you a completely different perspective on how devastating of a judgment is falling upon Israel at the southern, at this time. And it's pointed towards uh, the southern kingdom. So the book of Joel, uh, disaster strikes the southern kingdom of Judah with, without warning. A black cloud descends upon the land, the dreaded locust. In a matter of hours, every green thing has been stripped bare. Joel, God's spokesman during this period of time, describes the locust plague and how terrible it is, and it's because of judgment for the sins of Israel. Now, God's future judgment during the day of the Lord, and this is where it's connecting. These two books directly connect, um, and you'll, we'll see prophecies spoken here that are fulfilled in Revelation. Uh, but this judgment here is nothing compared to the plagues that will happen in the day of the Lord. So this is sort of a picture, a very bleak one, a dark one, but basically what Joel is saying here, that's it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what the day of the Lord is gonna be like and it pales in comparison. Um, the Hebrew name for Joel uh, means literally Yahweh is God. This name is appropriate to the theme of, of the book, which emphasizes God's sovereignty in history. Uh, the course of uh, nature and nations are in his hands, and that's important to know, especially with all the things that um, are going on right now in our world. So, um, for the next three minutes, I'm going to play a video, and it'll help really bring to light, I think, the devastation that these locusts are going to bring on the southern tribes. They're so frightening, they're mentioned in the scriptures as divine punishment. Locusts have been harbingers of doom from time immemorial. Notorious they may be, but this is exceptional. It's 70 years since Kenya witnessed these sights and sounds. A proliferation that began in Saudi Arabia's empty quarter now stretches 3,500 miles from there across much of East Africa. These desert locusts are among the world's great survivors. Normally they live in the hottest, driest places on earth, but their hardiness stands them in good stead when the going gets good, and in perfect conditions like these they prosper and their numbers simply explode. Crops and pastures used by livestock have been devoured by ravenous swarms. Each and every one of them can eat its own body weight each and every day. Now here in this country's breadbasket, they fear the next generation is just about to hatch 
with devastating consequences. Locusts live for about 10 weeks, and each new generation can be 20 times the size of the previous one. The alarm might just have been sounded too late here. John Irvine, News at 10, in Western Kenya. All right, let's go to Joel chapter 1, and this will give us a little different perspective on what we'll read as we uh, look at the first 12 verses of of, uh, Joel. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of uh, Peuel, hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust have eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth, for a nation has come up against my land. I just want to stop in verse 6 here, and when it talks about a nation, it's actually uh, referring to the locusts themselves. Strong and without number, his teeth are like the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. Now, I want to read that again, and I want to be able to show you how I believe the Holy Spirit makes some connections. We're going to be going through most of Revelation 9, but I want to just go there for one verse for right now. But before I do, let's read verse 6 again. For a nation has come up against my land, strong without number. Notice here, his teeth are like the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. Keep your finger here because we're coming right back, and please go to Revelation chapter nine, and we're gonna look at verse eight. These are the demon locusts that are let out, and we'll come back and, like I said, read most of this chapter. But right now, I, wanna, I want you to see the verbiage of the words here and how they directly tie into the book of Joel. So we're looking at verse um, 8 as part of the description that John has given to us in Revelation 9, verse 8. It says they have hair like woman's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And we have the, the very same wording there, and I, I think it is meant to be that way to make, for us to make that connection. All right, let's go back to Joel. Left off in verse 6. Verse 7 through 14 describes this, this drought. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. His branches are made white. Lament like a vir- virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. In other words, there's such devastation, um, the priests couldn't maintain and do their 
daily routine uh, in the priesthood. So the priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is waste, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers, well, you vine dressers, uh, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished, the vine has dried up, and the fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. And then he goes on to say, and we'll go up to verse um, 14 here, gird yourself and lament, you priest. Wail, you ministers, before the altar. Come, lie at night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of our God. Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out for to the Lord. Let's turn at this time and um, start working in some current events of things that are going on here. And I want to go back to the book of Jeremiah, um, chapter 14. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Israel had sinned, and as a result, Jeremiah tries to warn them that there are bad days ahead for you. And he's going to raise up a king, his name's gonna be called Nebuchadnezzar, and um, you guys are going into captivity, and you're gonna be there for 70 years. So don't try to fight it, that's what's going to happen. This was his ministry for 40 years. Can you imagine giving the same message every day for 40 years? And it wasn't a good one. Uh, there were false prophets that were there were saying, that'll never happen. The temple being destroyed? There's no way that God would ever allow that to take place. So they listened to people who told them what they wanted to hear instead of the true prophet, Jeremiah, who was telling them no. Um, you guys are gonna go into captivity and um, Babylon is going to come down, take Daniel, take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, take the cream of the crop, so to speak, and uh, you guys are gonna be there for that whole 70-year period of time. Now, here is where I wanna begin to make some applications. Whew, where do I go with this one? Except to say, there's some hard days that are going to be ahead. Um, how do I know that? Well, I know that there has to be a one world government. The Bible clearly says it. The question is, how are we gonna get there? I think we're watching that right now. I think we get what we deserve. And if Biden does get in, the United States of America will never be the United States of America again. And you guys have all seen Agenda. Um, you've heard the apologetic speakers talking about what's really going on behind this pandemic right now. There's other, th other factors that are in play. And that we really don't have um, a democratic party. We have a very extreme leftist organization 
that has, if Biden gets in, he's just going to be a puppet on a string until they get accomplished what they want to accomplish. Who likes to hear stuff like that? (laughs) Not me. I don't want to hear that bad days are ahead and that we're headed towards um, a communist, uh, socialist point of view worldwide. And, um, And yet, that's what I need to be talking about in these days because that's what's happening right now. I'm not saying Biden's going to win. We don't know. And uh, we were just talking about it in the prayer room, and I guess we're not even going to have a president for sure until the first of the year. So I have a lot of questions about what's going to happen between right now and then. I bring into Jeremiah 14 because this was just one of, the, one of his daily messages that he would bring. And this one has to do with a drought and how it affects the, the uh, animals. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 14, of the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the, the droughts, plural. Judah mourns and her gates languish. They mourn for the land. They cry of Jerusalem has gone up. Their nobles have sent their lads for water. Uh, they went to the cisterns, they found no water. Uh, they returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded, covered their heads, because the ground was parched, no rain in the land. Uh, the plowmen were ashamed, they covered their heads. Yes, the deer also gave birth in the fields. Uh, deer usually uh, require brush, they hide, and that's where they deliver their young. Uh, but the left, but left because there was no grass, and the wild donkeys stood in the, the, the desolate heights. They sniffed in the wind like jackals. Their eyes failed because there was no no grass. And the reason again for Jeremiah's message is because Israel has sinned. And God is allowing these judgments to take place. Well, we kicked prayer out of school, what, in 62? Somewhere back there, Roe v. Wade, 73. And now uh, the political climate in our country. And um, I was coming back from getting a haircut today. Can you tell I got a haircut? Remember, I knew I needed one. And I thought, on my way home, to the church here for the staff meeting, I drove by the old Pilgrim's Cafe. And there's a stoplight there. So I stopped and I just, I was kind of looking in and, and I didn't see anybody inside. And I thought, you know, I just wonder how they're doing. I hadn't been in there in a long time. Uh, for those of you who are new to the church, um, we remodeled two buildings, downtown um, Appleton, right on College Avenue. And um, we received accusations for um, business of the year one time. Um, and another award given to us was uh, uh, the comeback uh, award of the year because we had a first Pilgrim's Cafe in 1981. And we, so we had this one, and the curios- my curiosity got the best of me. I wanted to know how they were doing. So I walk in. There's one person in there drinking a cup of coffee, 20-year-old girl behind the counter. And I said, uh, hi, um, I'm just stopping in, but let me just tell you a little bit about 
this place that you're working at. How long have you been here? Oh, a month. And I said, um, you want to know some of the history of this building? And she says, why do you know? I said, yeah, I know a lot about the history of this building. And so I gave her a complete breakdown of how we remodeled that cafe and how it really took notice in downtown Appleton. I said, how are you doing? She said, not good. And um, I said, the stats right now are one in five are actually going out of business. And she says, yeah, she was aware of that. But um, they had a, another sticker on the door that said, um, looking for workers. And, um, and yet there was only one, one person in the whole place. So I gave her the whole history of uh, how it was remodeled and how he took, got the next building next door. And um, we'd have you know concerts there on, on Saturday night and then we'd hold the musician over and we'd bring him here on Sunday morning. And we did that in the early 80s and we did that also in the late 90s into the early, I think 2000 was when we wound it up uh, there. But um, my point in all that is I looked around and it was just so awkward being in a place with one person drinking a cup of coffee and um, realizing that there's a good chance there's another business that's probably not going to make it. Now, that's the norm, and I'm curious how much more people don't, even if they're open, people don't go because they're afraid. Um, Judy was just telling me she went shopping this last Saturday at Woodman's, and she said, I've never seen it like this before. Every checkout lane, people were basically hoarding each checkout lane was all the way back to the aisles on every single checkout lane. And it was the longest she said she had, had to go to a place to be able just to check out. Why are people doing this? Because there's a fear that there might not be food, that the stores won't be open, that they won't, uh, the trucking industry could be shut down. And there's all these rumors that are going around I don't know how people uh, in these times have any stability at all, any soundness of mind. Uh, the fear factor that's coming in, unless you know the Lord. Good place for an amen? What we're reading here tonight is something that's not pleasant. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet for a reason. He had an unpopular message. But my friends, what's happening and what we're going into right now is the stages right before the great tribulation. And the rapture of the church has to be really, really close with all the things happening that are taking place right now. All right, let's go back to um, the book of Joel. We left off in verse 14, and now it switches gears. Um, Joel now moves from the local situation This is a judgment from God because of their sin. He goes from this plague of locusts down to the end of the age to the day of the Lord. The book of Joel is about the the great tribulation period, but when we get to chapter three, it's also about the battle of Armageddon and even into the kingdom age. And so here we have a book 
in the Old Testament that is completely dedicated. It starts out with an example. This is bad. It's devastating what is done to the, the southern um, kingdom. But that's only sort of an example because now he switches gears in verse 15 and he says, you ain't said nothing yet. If you think this is bad, now he begins to talk about the day of the Lord. He says, alas, verse 15, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Revelation 6, verse 17 says that the tribulation period is the wrath of the Lamb. That's the title that's given there. And here it is, for it comes as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food caught off before our eyes joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed grain shrivers under the clouds, storehouses are shambles, barns are broken down, for the grain is withered. How the beasts groan. And so this reminds me of Jeremiah 14 where we read about um, um, the deer giving birth out in the open. They're groaning, no grass. The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flock of the sheep suffer uh, your punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out, for fire has devoured the open pasture and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. Uh, the beasts of the field also cry out to you, uh, for the watery brooks are dried up and fire has um, devoured an open pasture. So we're, again, we need to get used to um, jumping um, from periods of time. And what we've seen so far in chapter one is a very descriptive uh, judgment of how severe the locust actually were and how devastating it was. But then in verse 15, um, talks about the day of the Lord being at hand. And um, as we think about the day of the Lord, um, there's a couple places uh, that it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week, the day of the Lord. And it refers to that uh, future period of time of God's judgment. Now, as we get into this, there's also other meanings for the day of the Lord. Uh, I'll give you just an example of one. Uh, the day of the Lord can also be attributed according to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7 and 8. Um, matter of fact, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I have uh, verse 7. It talks about the coming, the day of the Lord, but in this sense, it's more of um, the rapture of the church and what happens to us when the rapture takes place. It says, so that, you, so that you, come, you don't come short in any gift. We're eagerly awaiting for the re- revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, also referred to as the day of our Lord in verse eight, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there is a, um, another reference that has to do with um, the coming of the day of God's promise for David's kingdom. Um, but it also is a, a reference to um, the rapture of the church in that day when he comes to take the church out of this world and then the church will come before the judgment seat of Christ. All right, a little sidetrack here. We're living, um, I believe, in the end of, end of days. The day of the Lord is about to begin, but there's a day, scripturally speaking, for you and I, speaking about the rapture and uh, being blameless when we have to stand before him. Now, if you just turn the page to chapter three, I wanna go through what's going to happen at what we call the judgment seat of Christ. So what happens? Well, we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And um, we, each one of us now, is going to have to give an account um, for why we do what we do. So let's pick it up in verse 11 of chapter three. The setting here is um, the judgment seat of Christ and um, um, every man's work will be judged. Let's pick it up in verse 11. It says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on his foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it. What day? The day of the Lord. But in this context, it's speaking about the judgment seat of Christ. And it says, everyone's work will be made manifest because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Um, This is basically saying that I know the scripture says that I will never be brought to shame. Good place for an amen. You will never be brought to shame. So what this verse is talking about here is that you being judged for something that, some sin that you did. When it talks about everyone's work, it's not talking about your sin because that's been taken care of. Praise the Lord for that. What it is referring to is that everything that we do is talking about the motive of our heart and why we do what we do. Do we do it to draw attention to ourselves? Do we want to be seen? Or do we have an understanding that we do something right that you don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing because your heavenly Father who sees in secret will reward you openly? Now, you're everybody in this room and watching live stream, um, when you get to heaven, your joy is going to be full. Amen? Your joy is going to be full. There will be no shame, but we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what's going on right here. But I don't want to be misunderstood because what's being judged here are the works that you've done and why you've done them. And then it goes on to say that it'll be tested by fire by what sort it is. If anyone's work which he builds on endures, he will receive a reward. 
And so, um, but if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. This is the judgment seat of Christ. There are only Christians here. And basically what we've just read is how we invested our time, how we invested our money, um, why we do and what, how we do them, and the motive behind that, only God knows. I don't know the motive of your heart. Only God does. And so that's why we're, in, in one context, we're told don't judge or you'll be judged. Don't judge one another. Well, the context of that is don't judge because I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. That's the Lord's responsibility and only God can see into your heart. Another good place for an amen. That's what we have in view right here. So if you're doing good works in such a way and um, you'll be rewarded accordingly. Now we run into a guy here that has absolutely no works at all. He got saved but then completely lived for himself. Um, If anyone's work is burned, so he doesn't have any good works at all, but he's still in heaven, uh, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. So there are Christians out there that really don't do anything for the Lord. They got saved, and the Lord is telling us here they won't have rewards. Will their joy be full in heaven? Absolutely, but um, they won't really have anything to show for it. I'm thinking of Daniel chapter 12 coming to mind right now. It says, those who are wise in the last days, um, those, well, let's go to Daniel chapter 12 so I (laughs) quoted exactly the way it's supposed to be quoted. Daniel chapter 12, right here, verse Two and three, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In this one verse here, we have two judgments. We have the judgment seat of Christ, and um, um, but others, some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's the great white throne judgment. It doesn't elaborate on either one of them, but Revelation 20 is all about the great white throne judgment. You have a whole chapter on it. And we have 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that gives us detail about what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. And then it says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. My personal opinion is the glory that you will experience if you are wise and thinking, you know, it's smart for me to witness to people because if I turn somebody around that's backslidden and they come to, back to the Lord, they are gonna be forever grateful that the Lord used you to bring them back to the Lord. And so what it talks about, let's go back to First Corinthians, the judgment seat of Christ, another way, name for the day of the Lord. We're talking about The rewards, I think, here are actually those people who are wise and are investing in things that are eternal. And don't get me wrong and say, well, I'm gonna quit my job now and just 
go to Africa or Haiti or whatever. Um, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. It's that simple. And so um, I think Christians should be the best worker in any company or organization. And they should be known, not because they're always talking about Jesus at break time, but no, because they're the best worker there. Whatever you do, what does it say? How we're supposed to do it? As unto the Lord. So you're not doing it for your boss. You, you want to be a good witness because you want to do all things as unto the Lord. All right, let's finish this chapter up. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. Do you not know that you're the temple of God, that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So back to um, the book of Joel. I went there to give another, there's different terms for the, for the day of the Lord, and one of them is when the Lord comes and takes the church out before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Chapter two, we're gonna read the first um, 11 verses, and we will be halfway through our book at that time. Um, We already read verse two that refers to, um, no, we already read, well, let's just begin in verse one. Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people great and strong, the like of whom have never been nor ever will be such after them, even for many successive generations. Now, in my my, uh, text where it gives cross-references, one of the cross-references it gives here is Daniel chapter nine. It's talking about an event that um, has never, like has never been, uh, nor will there ever be such after them, And it says a fire devours before them and behind them flames burn. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. What we've read thus far in the seven six seal judgments and the six trumpet judgments, which I call the third judgments, we have a third of fresh water um, being destroyed, uh, a third of the ocean being destroyed, and we have um, a third of the green grass being destroyed. When does this take place? During the first half of the Great Tribulation. And that's what I think we have in view here. Before these judgments hit, um, it looked like the Garden of Eden and after, but afterwards, after these judgments start to unfold, um, it's completely desolate and barren. Now, this Sunday, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 14. 
And it's going to talk about the 144,000 that are going to be taken to heaven. They're in heaven. But then the following Sunday, we're going to be in Revelation 15, and that's what we're reading about here. And I personally believe that this, this tying in of, of uh, locust and this reference here, that he's using the comparison of locusts as being a, a form of judgment. And I'm going to read through verse 11, and then we're going to go back to Revelation 9. So let's look at verse 4. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run, with noise like chariots. Over mountains they leap, like the noise of flaming fire that devours the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array. Um, now this is interesting because it talks about whatever this is, having organization, and they're set in battle array. I don't think we're talking about the locusts in chapter one. I think we're talking about the locusts in Daniel, uh, Revelation chapter nine. Before them, the, the people wither in pain, all right? And all their faces drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb wall like men of war. Each one marks his formation. They do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. And when they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb on the houses. They enter the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark. This is clearly references to things we read during the great tribulation. The sun and the moon growing dark. And the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army for his cab is a very great for strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? What we want again be um, conscious of is how the Lord gives sometimes more detail of an event in the Old Testament when it's really talking about something yet future. And I'm fully persuaded that what we have in view here is, um, let's go to, I told you we were going to go back to Revelation chapter nine, please do so at this point. And we'll read verses one through 11. And it's the fifth trumpet judgment. Then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke rose out of the pit like a smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as a scorpion of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass, of the earth or anything green or tree, but only those who have not had the seal of God on their forehead. So again, this is God's judgment on people who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ 
And now part of the judgment are these demon locusts that come out. I already brought you here to show the connection with this one verse that they had the, the teeth like lions. They'll be given authority. Uh, they were not given authority to kill them. Remember when we just read it, it says that their faces will turn pale and it'll be like a woman in labor and they will be in pain but it doesn't mention anything in Joel about them dying. And that's what we're told here. They were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Tell me that's not a weird... I think, to me, this is one of the strangest and weirdest chapters in the entire Bible. I mean, it is really off the charts, but I think there's a direct connection between what we read in Joel chapter two and what we're reading right here. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth was like lion's teeth. They had their breastplate like the breastplate of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. Uh, They had tails like scorpions and their sting was in their tails and their power was to hurt men for five months. Now, they had a king over them of the king of the bottomless pit whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon but in Greek, it's Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, two more woes are coming after them. It says that like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And um, there's, they have, there's a proverb that said out of nowhere, it just says the locusts have no king. They just go in swarms. They're all over the place. There's no order to it at all. What Joel tells us is a mark and rank in formation. And uh, they creep into people's houses. I think I use the terminology when you're seven, eight, nine years old. You say, Mom, would you, would you please check under the bed to make sure nobody's there? Uh, uh, can you leave the light on, Mom? Uh, would you look in the closet, please? Why? Because the boogeyman might be in there. Well, for these five months, the boogeyman is alive and well and doing great harm. And um, they do mark in order, and they can, are they allowed to do certain things, but only to inflict pain to the point that you want to die, but you can't. And you try to take yourself out, but you don't die. And that's what's, what's actually going to, going to be uh, happening during this period of time. I think Joel chapter two, those first 11 verses we read are descriptive of what's gonna be taking place uh, during the, the great tribulation. What do you do with all this? Um, who likes talking about things, uh, the scriptures that come to mind, Jesus says these are the beginning of sorrows. And uh, who likes to stand up and say, 
this is what's coming down the pike for people that we know right now that aren't going to make it. They're not ready for the Lord right now. Um, they're living after only the things of this life. And the message for you and I is we're told about these things ahead of time. Why? So we could actually be a Jeremiah. But I don't want to be a Jeremiah. I want people to like me. <laughs> okay? If I'm a Jeremiah and go around saying this kind of stuff, I'm going to lose all kinds of friends. Yep, you will. You're going to lose friends. But I hope you love them enough to tell them the truth, even though the message is extremely unpopular, more terrifying than I can possibly tell you tonight except what we read in Joel. What was Joel's message? Well, they started out with this plague that devastates everything. And he uses that as an example. He says, that's nothing. Nothing compared to the great day of the Lord that's coming. Why give the message, Joel? Why, why have it in the Old Testament and it's yet still future for us? Why? So that we'll be watching. We'll be watching uh, when the Bible says perilous times will come and men's hearts will actually be failing them for fear because of the things that are coming upon this earth. That's not very popular. Who wants to talk about that, that kind of stuff? Well, um, there's, there's times, here's our, here's our safeguard, I think, at Calvary. If we're committed to teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, guess what you have to deal with? You've got to deal with the book of Joel. You've got to deal with the book of Zechariah. You've got to deal with the book of Daniel. And you've got to deal with the book of Revelation. Some of it is a total blessing. Revelation 1 verse 3 said, blessed are those who read the words of this book. Chapter 2 and 3, some big blessings. Promises to the church, I'm going to rule and reign a thousand years with Jesus and so are you. And um, I'm not going to be hurt by the second death. We'll get into that a little bit later. Those who live through um, the great tribulation and are still alive will experience the second death. And um, um, how do we close on a positive note with a Bible study like that? Good question. But I'll give you a verse. Let's go back to um, let's go back to Joel, and I'll give you one verse to, to close with. Verse nineteen, and this is what we do in light of all this of chapter one. O Lord, to you I cry out. With all that's going on, you know, who are you going to turn to? And it's not Ghostbusters. <laughs> We cry out to the Lord, Lord, whatever it takes to save my friend, I pray that's what you do. Lord, if he's got to hit bottom before he looks up, so be it. I'd rather see him go through a terrible time now than have to enter into this period of time that the Bible clearly talks about here. So as we close up tonight, I hope you go home nice and warm and feeling fuzzy and... and, um, being to medita- meditate on these uh, demon locusts that are coming out of uh, the bottomless pit. But it's the truth, my friends. And everything that we read tonight, there's nothing that's going to stop it from happening. What we read here tonight will take place. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, 
as we look at Joel and these locusts in Joel, but also the locusts that are going to come in Revelation 9, um, uh, there are dark days ahead. But we thank you, Lord, that the judgment that should have been placed upon us, you took upon yourself at Calvary's cross. Lord, make us grateful enough and love you enough to be obedient to you in the Great Commission and to go into all the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we pray for those opportunities, Lord. Um, Help us not hold back uh, and help us share with them uh, not just only the good news, but what could happen to them if they reject the gospel once it's presented to them. So Lord, we thank you for your word tonight and pray you go before us the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.